Well, hey, welcome to the podcast. My name is James. I am so grateful that you're tuning in. And my hope is that you would be inspired and encouraged today as you hear this message. I want to remind you that you're changed not by the word that you hear, but by the word that you do. So lean forward with an expectant attitude. And I believe God is going to speak to you today through this message. That is how you do church. That's it. But hey, we didn't show up just to do church. We showed up to meet with God today. And my hope is that you had plenty of sleep because you got an extra hour of sleep. My hope is that you came filled up with some sugar ready on a candy rush to experience and hear something great from God. So I'm just anticipating and expecting that you have an expectant attitude and that you're gonna help me preach this sermon. Is that all right? Because you know, I just preach better when you respond. So if I say anything that's good, if I say anything that resonates with you, you could just say, well, you could clap, you could say, come on, or you can just write it down and take notes. Just make sure that you live by the notes that you take. You know, before I was a, I was a pastor, I was a student ministry pastor at a church for about seven years, and um, one of the things that we did on a yearly basis was we would take students uh, to camp. It was, it was this, uh, this week-long event out in the woods, and um, there'd be a bunch of other students there, but we'd go to camp, and uh, this was a time where they got to disconnect from their, their normal surroundings, their normal situations. They got to unplug from technology, and this was a time where uh, we played games outside, we, we engaged in sports, we went swimming, we had fun outside, but also there was daily devotionals that students engaged in. They would read the Bible on a regular basis. We had morning chapels, we had uh, nightly worship experiences, and then each night would be capped off with a, a campfire talk, and so we'd all be around a campfire, and somebody would give a message, and somebody would, would uh, play a little acoustic guitar and sing, and, and it, it was in these moments of camp that high schoolers and middle schoolers who went really connected with God in a way like never before. Because they were, they were disengaged from everything else that they were, they were a part of and they were just focusing on God that week. And that week, students re- experienced revival. Every single year when we went to camp, there would, student, there would be students who would go in uh, living in survival mode and at the end of camp, they would experience revival because they had focused on God. They, they, they made the main thing the main thing. They, they focused on what mattered most. And, and at the end of camp, there would always be times where students would make decisions to accept Christ, and, and, and at last day on Friday, when parents came to pick up their kids, we'd, we'd have baptisms right there in the pool. And I remember I got a chance to baptize several students each year, students who, who I took to camp who, who made the decision to follow Jesus. And then, and then there were times, too, where um, at the end of a worship experience at night or at the end of that campfire talk at night, we, we'd have a time for students to be able to make a decision not just to accept Christ, but for those who had become Christians and said yes to him and been baptized in him, we gave them a chance if they had strayed, if they had gone their own way, if they had rebelled, if they had felt far from God, we gave them a chance to rededicate their life where they came up and they said, God, I've been doing my own thing, but now I want to follow you and I want to, I want to go your way. And every single year, students would, would make these decisions. They'd have revival moments where they said yes to following Jesus, they were baptized in him, and then several students would, would also rededicate their life in following Jesus. It was, it was this, this moment of revival. And you know, this, this series hopefully has been a, a week of camp, essentially, for you. Uh, hopefully this series has been a moment of revival for you, because throughout this series, we, we started off saying that if we're going to see revival, it requires work. 
And so we've talked through the work of revival. We said we got to do some things we've never done before so that we can see some things we've never seen before. And as a church, we went through this initiative where we said, okay, we're going to read the Bible for an entire month. We're going to serve our city for an entire week. We're going to give like never before, and we're going to fast for an entire day. And so, so many people in our church, because they've engaged in this initiative, have experienced revival. And and, and what we've discovered throughout this series is that you and I have a choice as to whether or not we'll experience revival or whether or not we'll live in survival. And I started this series because I was just thinking about my life, and and during the season of COVID, I just felt like I was living in survival, just just going uh, day in and day out. Every day felt like Groundhog Day to me. And I said, you know, God has not called me to live in survival but he's called me to experience revival. And I'll stand on this stage today and just let you know, I feel like I'm in the best place in my life than I've been in a long time. I am, man. I, I, uh, last week I preached on assessing the situation and asking yourself, how did I get here? And I, at first I was gonna take it from, from an approach of saying, you know, uh, my life sucks and this happened and I don't like this and all that stuff. But I started assessing my life and I was like, I can't believe I'm married to the woman I'm married to. Our marriage is the best it's ever been. I can't believe that I have the kids that I have. They bring so much joy to me. We're in a great financial state. Uh, I'm in a great state mentally. I mean, with COVID and things like that, if you were here, uh, if you've been in our church for quite a while, you know, last year, if I stood on this stage and I saw the amount of people show up who are showing up now, I'd be depressed because my identity was tied up into what I did. And, And if more people weren't showing up this week than last week, what's wrong with me? And I was, I was deep. In, in depression last year, but then I discovered that my identity is not wrapped up in what I do, it's wrapped up in who I am. And so my job is to simply pour myself out and not measure my worth based on the numbers. Now I wanna look at, there you go. So I'm in a great place, I'm in a great place. Now I wanna look at the numbers and I wanna figure out how do we get better and how do we reach more people and all that stuff, but I, 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 I'm, in a, I'm in a good place and, and I just realized I'm experiencing revival and here's, here's what, what's different. Not the person I'm married to, still married to Irene. Not the kids that I have, still have the same kids, I think. Um, not, not the house that we live in, we still live in the same house. Not, not, the, not the role or the job that I have, still, still have that. Not even the church that I lead. But what changed in me was not external circumstances, but internal circumstances. It was what I was doing in me. And so what we've discovered in this series is that survival or revival is up to you. You can still be married to the same person and experience revival. You can still have the same kids and experience revival. You can live in the same house, have the same financial situation, have the same job, have the same role, have the same all of that, and still experience revival. Because what we've discovered and what I want to teach you today is that revival is not based on external circumstances or situations. Revival is what takes place inside of you. And if you want to experience revival, you got to make the choice to change some things within. What we've discovered throughout this series is that God has given us the choice, revival or survival, and both choices are open to each and every one of us all the time. Here's here's what God said in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. This is our theme verse throughout this series. He said this, this day... I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live. So you and I, we have a choice on the table, life or death, revival or survival. It's up to us what we'll experience. And he says, please, for the love of me, not me, but 
God saying, for the love of me, choose life. Because that's what I want you to experience. That's what I want you to live in. And throughout this series, I've just heard so many stories of people choosing life. I've heard so many stories of people experiencing revival because they've heard the word and then they put it into practice, right? Uh, when, when we talked about giving in our church, several people gave for the first time and it was great, it was amazing. We've been reading the Bible for an entire month as a church. I just got a text from a friend of mine yesterday. He said, I read through the book of Matthew and I read through the book of Acts. It's the first time I've ever read two books of the Bible. What's next? He said, it's forming a habit in him. I've heard a story, last week, we had three people accept Christ and give their lives to him in baptism, and they shared their story right here, going through some deep, dark things, but then they found the light of life in Christ, and we saw them get baptized last week. Last week, a lady who comes to our church, told, she, she sent me a text from her husband who's in California right now. He said, I watched the message, and it re-energized me. I needed that because I've been going through some stuff. See, we're reaching people online. We're reaching people here and now, and people are experiencing revival. When, when we talked about giving, again, I, I mentioned there were several people who gave for the first time, and one of the things that I talked about was the 90-day tithe test. It's this thing where we say, we believe so much in God's word that what God says is when you return the tithe, I'll open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't know what to do with it. So as a church, we do this thing called the 90-day tithe test where if you commit to tithe, return the first 10% of your income back to God for 90 days and you don't see any breakthrough in your life, you don't feel like your life is any better because of that, we will give you your money back. The reason is because we don't want something from you, we want something for you. And we know when you test God and what his word says, you'll experience life. And if you're watching online, you can actually go to our website right now and sign up for the 90-day tide test. There were two people who signed up for that during this series. And if you're not currently giving, I want to invite you to go to our site, sign up for it, and take on the challenge. But, but we've been seeing revival take place in and through our midst. So, so this series really has been a mountaintop experience for so many people. And, and here's my hope. If you hear some of these stories and you hear some of these experiences and you think to yourself, well, that's not really me. Like, I'm not experiencing revival in those ways. I don't want to, I don't, can I just say that's your fault? Right? And I was trying to figure out how to say it, so to, but it's your choice as to whether or not you experience revival or survival. And if you haven't experienced revival yet, it's not too late. It's not too late. Today is the day that you can make the choice where you say, I'm gonna do what God has called me to do. I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna put his word into practice so that I can see new life break forth in me. Because the choice is up to, our, uh, is up to us and revival is all around us. So, um, today... I want to share with you how, since this is the last day of this series, it may be easy for what you've experienced during this series to die, and I don't want you to let it die. See, when I went to camp with these students at the end of camp, there was always this talk that was given on, on the last night of camp. And, and I gave this talk several times, other people gave this talk several times, because what we would see is that people would have this mountaintop experience with God. 
These students would, would connect with God. They'd be reading his word. They're disconnected from everything else. They're so close to God. They're so focused on God. And, and this, is, this is great. This is amazing. They make decisions to follow him. They make decisions to be baptized in him. They make decisions to rededicate his life. But then what, what I noticed is that the next year, some of those same kids would come back to camp and they make that same decision to rededicate their life. It's like during the week of camp, they were on this mountaintop, but then afterwards, they, they went back to their same environment, they went back to their same home, they went back to their same friends, they went back to their same habits and their same hobbies, and they didn't change anything, and what they felt faded. And they slipped from this mountaintop revival experience to the valley of survival. And I would see them the next year make the decision to come back to God, and then the next year make the decision to come back to God. And so we would always give this talk. I would always say this, look, what you've felt and what you've experienced during this week is real and it's true. And here's what you did. You took time to shut out everything else that didn't matter and focus on and follow and pursue God. Now, you're about to go home. And when you go home, you're going back to the same situation. But if you want revival to last in your life, you gotta go back to the tools that you picked up during this week. If you want revival to last in your life, you gotta keep that mindset front and center that you developed this week. If you want revival to last in your life, then you gotta keep your perspective fresh and continue to follow and focus on God. If you don't do that, you will slip from the mountaintop of revival into the valley of survival. The same is true for you. During this series, my hope is it's been great for you. My hope is you've taken notes and you've put those notes into practice, but we're ending this series today. We're starting a new series next week. It's gonna be phenomenal. And then in December, we're starting our Christmas series. It's gonna be called Unsung Christmas. It's about Christmas songs. It's gonna be great. You don't wanna miss it. It's gonna be awesome. But this series is ending, but the revival in your life does not have to end. It will end if you don't continue to put into practice what you've discovered, though. And so for the remainder of my time, I wanna, I wanna share with you how to not allow the revival to die in your life. And to see that, I wanna, I wanna take us back, way back, about 3,000 years ago. The, the, the context 3,000 years ago is this. Uh, we're in the nation of Israel, and the king of the nation of Israel is this guy named Ahab. Now, if you don't know Ahab, chances are you know his wife. And uh, even if you've never been to church before, chances are you've heard of his wife. Ahab's wife's name was Jezebel. And Jezebel was this Phoenician woman who, who married Ahab. And uh, here's, here's what we need to understand when it comes to the Bible. Sometimes people say the Bible is confusing or it's boring or it doesn't make sense. I want to share some stuff with you from the scriptures today that's going to blow your mind and you're going to say, where has this been all my life? Because the Bible reads like this, this ancient like adventure, like like you're watching 300 or something. I mean, it's so packed with, with action and drama and scandal. And Ahab's wife was Jezebel. And Jezebel, uh, when, when she comes into the picture, she introduces the nation of Israel to Baal and Asherah worship. Now, now, several years before that, God told the nation of Israel, his chosen people, he said, don't worship any other gods, essentially because those other gods aren't real. And so you'll be wasting your time, you're worshiping something that isn't real. But Ahab, when he becomes king of Israel, he doesn't follow God. He doesn't care about God. So he marries this woman, Jezebel. Jezebel brings in Baal and Asherah worship. She introduces it to the nation of, of Israel. 
Now, Baal and Asherah, among other things, were the god and goddess of sex and fertility. And Baal, the way that people would, would worship, and, and, and this is the reason why Jezebel, her name is synonymous with uh, being a trollop or a floozy or a tramp or a loose woman today. People say, oh, she's a Jezebel. Maybe that's old school, I don't know. The reason is because she was the one who introduced the nation of Israel to this worship of Baal and Asherah who were the sex and fertility gods and goddesses. And so Baal, the way that people worship Baal, see, Baal was in the image of a man, but he had the head of a bull. And so there was a statue that was constructed of Baal, this big, massive statue where a fire was lit. And the way people would worship Baal is they would bring their firstborn child to the altar and sacrifice them in the fire. As though to say, Baal, the God of fertility, you've let us be fertile. We're giving back to you what you've given to us so we can continue to have kids. We have to appease the God of fertility by sacrificing our child in the fire. And then Asherah, she's often depicted as this voluptuous woman clutching her breasts. And in the scriptures as you read, you'll see that there are Asherah poles that are um, erected all around the nation of Israel. And these Asherah poles would be in the image of this woman, Asherah, clutching her breasts. Some of the Asherah poles that were erected uh, were phallic symbols. And they were all over the nation of Israel. I'm just reading the Bible to you. This is in the Bible. They're all over the nation of Israel. And the way that people would worship Asherah is they would go to one of these shrines and have sex with the shrine prostitutes there. And so this is what's going on in the nation of Israel. And the prophet Elijah, the man of God, assesses the situation, just like we talked about last week. If you wanna see revival break out in your life, you gotta assess the situation. You gotta say, how did I get here? What's going on? What needs to change? Elijah looks around at the nation of Israel and he sees people worshiping Baal and Asherah and he says, this has to stop. We've fallen too far. We can't keep doing this. And so what Elijah does is he schedules a battle on the top of Mount Carmel. He, he calls for all the prophets of Baal and Asherah to meet him at this mountain, and, um, and they show up. 850 of them show up to this mountain. So you got Elijah, you got 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, but then thousands of people from the nation of Israel show up to see what's going on. Because they didn't have Netflix back then. This was the best thing going on. So they show up to see what's happening. They show up to the showdown. And, and, and we got Elijah, and then the prophets of Baal and Asherah. Ladies and gentlemen, in this corner, our challenger, the prophet of power, the man with the mouth, Elijah! And in this corner, numbering 850, the sorcerers of seduction and sexuality themselves, the prophets of Baal and Asherah! So here we are, the face-off is ready, the, the battle's ready, they're about to face off. And Elijah says, okay, here's the rules. We're going to set up two altars, we're going to sacrifice bulls on each altar. You pray to your gods, I'll pray to my God. Whichever God rains down fire, that will be the one true God. The prophets of Baal and Asherah say, okay, cool, we're down, we'll do that. And so they start calling out uh, to Baal, but nothing happens, nothing happens. And they're shouting, they're trying to get Baal's attention. No fire falls. 
And then about noon, Elijah began making fun of him. So you can see Elijah just kind of sitting back. And it says, at noon, Elijah began making fun of them. Pray louder, he said. Baal must be a god. Uh, Maybe he's daydreaming or using the toilet or traveling somewhere. Or or maybe he's asleep and you have to wake him up. Like, I'm just reading the Bible. This is what Elijah says. Maybe your god's on the bathroom. On the bathroom. Maybe your god's in the bathroom and he's busy right now. So call out louder. And what the prophets of Baal and Asherah do is they call out louder. And the scriptures say they begin to cut themselves so that they're bleeding now. Because surely when the gods see our suffering, when they hear us calling out, then they'll do something. By the way, by the way, can, can I just say that, that sometimes we adopt a martyr mentality? God, look at how I'm suffering. Look at all the things I'm doing for you. Look at what's happening. How come you're not coming through? How come that's not how God works? God doesn't resonate with martyr mentalities. There's already been one martyr who shed his blood for us so that we don't have to go through that same thing. God is described as our loving heavenly father who longs to give good gifts. And so you don't have to play the victim. In this church, we don't have a victim mentality. Well, I would experience revival if somebody would just, well, revival just isn't for, no, 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 stop being a victim. God doesn't operate that way. God wants you to be a victor, not a victim. The prophets of Baal have this martyr mentality. Baal, look at us. We're bleeding. We're cutting ourselves. We're suffering for you. Would you please do something? But nothing happened. No fire came. You don't have to get God's attention that way because God sees you already. God knows you already. If you want to see revival break through in your life, we've said it all throughout this series, it requires work. If you want to see revival break through in your life, you don't have to suffer, you don't have to call out, you don't have to beg and pray and plead, would you please? You just have to practice the principles God has put in place and you'll see revival break through. It's that simple. It's not easy, but it's that simple. And here's what Elijah does when it's his turn. The prophets of Baal and Asherah, they're, uh, they're, they're defeated. They're over there cut, bleeding, laying on the ground, exhausted. So then Elijah takes center stage. It says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you're God in Israel and that I'm your servant and I've done all these things at your command. I just wanna point this out real quick. When Elijah prays, he prays that God would get the glory. Let it be known that you're God in all of Israel. He doesn't pray that he would get the glory. Instead, he refers to himself as a servant. God, I'm just here to serve you. It's all about you, it's not about me. And I want you to be glorified. I want my life to be a light that points to you. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then, that one simple prayer, then, The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And so right here is the beginning of revival. Elijah stands up in front of these people. They see fire fall. They say, God is God. We're convinced now. 
And what takes place is they, they grab all the prophets of Baal and Asherah and they kill them. They slaughter them. And revival breaks out. The people of Israel turn back to God. It's amazing. The week of camp was amazing. We've experienced God. This series was amazing. It's the last week of the series. We've been to the mountaintop. Revival is breaking forth in my life. I love it. But then, 1 Kings chapter 19 hits. We've been in 1 Kings chapter 18, but 1 Kings chapter 19 hits. And when 1 Kings chapter 19 hits, it hits really hard. Here's what it says takes place. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Now Ahab went and whined to his wife. He killed the prophets. Can you fix it for me? Ahab was a weak man. He told Jezebel what he had done. I can't do anything. I need you to do it for me instead. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Essentially, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. One moment, Elijah's ushering in revival. The next, he's suicidal. One moment, Elijah's on top of the mountain. The next, he sunk down into the valley. One moment, Elijah is on top of the world. He's on cloud nine. Everything is great and amazing. But the next, with a threat, he's ready to die, to throw in the towel, and to give up. Elijah, you just called fire down from heaven, and you're scared of this lady? Elijah goes from revival to survival just like that. One moment, I gave, I gave for the first time, it was great. It was great. I stepped out in faith. I said, okay, God, I'm going to return the tithe to you. And it was great. It was amazing. I never did it before. But then you got an unexpected car expense, and you're wondering, how am I going to pay for this? I don't know about that giving thing anymore. I mean, our marriage is, is going great. We've been talking. We've been communicating more. Things have been going great. We've been trying to build revival in our marriage. But then we had that blow up. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know anymore. I mean, I was, I, was, I was talking to my, to my girlfriend, and we were, we, we were getting things in, in order. I mean, we set boundaries. We set priorities. We're communicating better. And, and I thought things were going to be great. We started, she started coming to church. But, but then I just got a text, and she said she just wants to be friends. I felt so close to God during this series. I mean, I was, I was doing the things that we talked about. I was, I was feeling so close. But then my world just started crashing all around me, and I... I don't know what to do. 
See, there are moments where we can feel on top of the mountain and then we can sink down to survival just like that. This is what happens with Elijah. And look, it's easy to experience revival when things are great. It's easy to experience revival when fire is coming down from heaven. It's easy to experience revival when your marriage is great, when you're feeling fit, when your finances are awesome. It's great and easy to feel revival then. But the question is when your circumstances shift. When everything hits the fan, when things aren't going like you intended for them to go or planned for them to go, will you still experience revival then? That's the sign of maturity. And I wanna show you the key to experience revival even in moments of difficulty, even when things don't go well. We see it with Elijah. Elijah sunk like he did because internally he wasn't whole. Elijah's ability to experience revival was based on the circumstances and situations, external things, and when they shifted, he couldn't experience revival anymore. Here's why, because Elijah had a poor perspective. If Elijah would have seen things differently, again, the external can change, but if you can see the external differently, internally, you can experience revival. Elijah didn't know how to do that. But here's the thing with Elijah. Elijah was the prophet of prophets. Elijah was the leader of prophets. Like when you think of like the best prophet ever, it's Elijah. It's like when you think about who's the greatest quarterback ever, it's Tom Brady. When you think about who's the best basketball player ever, it's Michael Jordan, maybe LeBron James, but who's the greatest prophet ever? It's Elijah. But Elijah didn't understand that he had to fix what was in him to experience revival even when circumstances shifted. I want to I show you where we see this in the scriptures. Here we go. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God asked him, why are you here? Why are you here? And Elijah said, I'm the only one who stood faithful for you. You see the martyr mentality he has? I'm the only one. So here's what God does. He says, Elijah, I need to, I need to try and shift your perspective. See, fire fell on Mount Carmel. And now, Elijah, he's traveled to another mountain, Mount Horeb. And he needs to learn a lesson on Mount Horeb in the valley that he couldn't learn on top of Mount Carmel when revival was great and amazing. The lesson he needs to learn is how to shift what's in him so that he can still experience revival when things aren't going good. But he misses the lesson. Watch. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
See, that week at camp was great for kids. Fire falling from heaven was great for revival. A series like this is great to bring us back to who God is and to focus on him. And it's easy to experience revival in those fire falling moments. Seeing earth, wind, and fire would have been great if I was alive to see that band at the time. But Elijah saw earth, wind, and fire move and shake. And those big, great, amazing things are good to jolt us into revival, but they won't sustain us in revival. Hopefully this series has jolted you into revival, but I can't keep this series going on forever. You'll get tired of it. It can't sustain you in revival. What sustains you in revival is hearing the still, small voice of God saying, you're good enough. I love you. I care for you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Continue on amidst all the distraction. Remember what you saw. Remember what you learned and keep it with you. This is who you are. And each and every one of us have to answer that same question Elijah had to answer. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What's your purpose? Why are you here? Why are you alive today? What are you doing here? And so Elijah witnesses these great, big, amazing things, and then he hears the whisper of God. Some translations say God was in the wind. And then God asks him the same question, but Elijah fails the test again. Look, 1 Kings 19, verse 14. Elijah said, what are you, or God said, what are you doing here? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah, you just said that. But you've experienced some stuff you didn't experience before. You've seen the earth, wind, and fire, but more than that, you've heard the gentle whisper of God. And did that change anything for Elijah? No. His ability to have revival is still based on external circumstances. And so when he gives this response again, here's the instructions God said to him, verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You know, I had, I had one direction that I was going to go in for, for this sermon, but after reading this over and over and over again, this, this is what I get from the text. God says to Elijah, even though you're like the prophet of prophets, the leader of prophets, the greatest when it comes to prophets, there's something internally you haven't understood yet. And I need you to get that revival doesn't come from your circumstances, revival comes from what I'm doing in you. And I can't go any further with you. So what I want you to do is go anoint your successor, Elisha. And what we find with Elisha is that he actually does twice as many miracles as Elijah did. 
because Elijah seemed to understand who he was and whether or not revival would take place in his life was an internal thing, not an external thing. Listen, God can do great and amazing things with you and in you and through you, but there's a limit until you discover that you're not a victim and you're not a martyr, but revival can take place regardless of your situation and circumstance. God says to Elijah, I want you to go anoint Elisha to replace you. And here's the other thing you need to know. You've been saying you're the only one who's not bowing. There's actually 7,000 in all of Israel who haven't bowed. He seeks to shift his perspective. If you want to see revival break through in your life, you got to shift your perspective. I, want to, I need to land this thing. I'm already past my time. Uh, we've had a great experience in this series. We've been challenged. We've been motivated, inspired, educated on what needs to happen in us for us to experience revival. Um, but here's what you gotta understand. Just like Elijah, you can be part of revival, part of a great move of God, and experience the highs of the mountaintop but fall so low to the valley of survival if you don't practice what you've discovered if you don't put the principles into practice, if you don't go back to the tools that you've found, if you allow your mindset to shift so that revival is based on your external circumstances. So I wanna ask you, here and now in this moment, would you just close your eyes? And I wanna invite you to answer this question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Are you here to just survive? Are you here to just make money so you can pay bills? Are you here to just make it to the weekend? Are you here to just drive a better, bigger, more expensive car? Are you here to achieve accolades? What are you doing here? What's your purpose? What do you want to see in life? What do you want to experience? How do you want your relationships to be? How do you want your marriage to be? How do you want to be as a parent? How do you want to be as a person? What are you doing here? You can be all that God has called you to be. Because this is an old school church where we go to revival. You are the revival. God is working in you in a great and amazing way. God has set aside more for you than you could ever imagine. God has called you to greater than you can even comprehend. This day he set before you life and death Revival or survival? 
No matter where you are, no matter your circumstances, no matter your situation, I beg with you today, I plead with you, choose life. Choose life and allow revival to break forth in every aspect of your life. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you were inspired, encouraged, and challenged by what you heard. And I want to let you know, if you benefit in any way from this ministry or listening to the podcast, I want to invite you and encourage you to become a giver not just be a consumer but a contributor you know we're able to do what we do because of the many faithful givers in our church and I want to invite you to be one of those as well you can go to our website we're the rising.com and see how you can give but as you contribute to the work that God is doing in and through our church just know that you are helping to make a difference in the lives of so many people so Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And my hope is that as you put what you've heard into practice, you'll be changed and transformed forever.